Hi leaders, it's your host, Beth Alms, and today we're running a special episode of the Leadership 480 podcast. We're sharing an episode that we originally published on February 9th, 2021, about finding passion and purpose in leadership. Over the past few months, I've been working with our research and analytics team to publish our Global Leadership Forecast 2023, which is one of the world's largest studies on leadership. And here's the thing, one of the findings kept nagging at my brain, which was around the relationship between purpose and engagement at work. If you're anything like me, you've probably heard the drumbeat from the higher-ups in in your own companies and in the media that we need to focus on engaging our teams to get more done, especially as most of us are going through a lot of changes right now, although when are we not in a period of transformation these days? And we're also being charged with retaining talent as so many people are keen to move jobs. Anyway, with that backdrop, we found in the study that purpose is one of the biggest drivers of engagement. People who feel a strong sense of purpose at work are nine times more likely to be engaged in their role and 2.4 times more likely to say they'll stay at their companies for at least the next year. And yet, A lot of leaders struggle to find a sense of purpose in our work, even among C-suite leaders, which you would think would be incredibly purpose-driven given that they are driving the rest of the company and this is, they're probably spending tons of hours at the office. Only about 63% of C-suite leaders say they felt a strong sense of purpose, meaning that about one in three is not feeling highly purposeful at work. So what does that mean for the rest of us? Unsurprisingly, the lower you get in the ranks, the less purpose you see. And only about 41% of frontline leaders say they feel a strong sense of purpose at work. And here's what really got me though. Sometimes when you think of purpose or I hear other people talking about purpose, you're really thinking about, you know, well, those are the jobs for people who are kind of saving the world at work, whether you're in healthcare or something like teaching maybe. But when we looked at industries to see which ones had people who were really purpose-driven in what they were doing, agriculture and retail topped the list. Healthcare was a little further down, and things like education were way far down on the list, which tells me a couple of things. First, no matter what we do, we can find purpose in our work if we know how to look at it. And two, We're burning out a lot of people who should be finding meaning in their work, but are struggling right now. So that brings me back to one of my favorite podcast discussions of all time with Tanvir Nasir on what it really means to find purpose at work and why it's not the same as following your passion. And when you find that purpose at work, you're gonna get that energy you need to really succeed. Take a listen. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Alms, and I am so excited about our guest today because I think we just all need a moment to renew our energy for our work and our passion and remind us why we're doing what we do. So to talk to us today about passion and purpose, we have Tanvir Nasir with us today. You might know Tanvir from his TED talk, uh, Forget Passion, Purpose is the Real Spice of Life. 
He's also the CEO of Tanvir Nasir Leadership and has traveled the world giving keynotes on leadership. You might even know him from his podcast, The Leadership Biz Cafe, and he's also the author of Leadership Vertigo. So with that intro, Tanvir, I am so excited to have you with us here today. Welcome to the Leadership 480 podcast. Thanks, Beth. Appreciate you having me on. I have to start by asking you about finding passion at work. We so often get the advice to follow our passion, and if we find our passion, we'll never work a day in our lives. But I've heard you say that passion is really not the secret. So why not? I, I love that you're bringing this up at the start of our conversation, Beth, because, you know, the problem whenever I hear people talking about, you know, you have to follow your passion. It, the problem is, is that we're making the assumption that we should only have one thing we're passionate about, that there's only one thing that we should care about or get excited about. And the truth is, is that we should really have multiple passions. There should be multiple different things that we're passionate about, but we don't necessarily have to go and say, I'm going to dedicate most of my life to that one thing and I'm going to forego everything else. And, you know, another problem with passion, when we say, you know, follow your passion is that it's focusing only on what we uniquely care about, what's our interest, what's very limited. A great way to think about this is uh, if you're a sports fan, right? Uh, if you, when we were able to go to work and we hang around the water cooler and you try talking to sports with someone who doesn't care about sports or, or they don't follow your particular sport, you're going to have a very limited interaction. And the other thing that I see as being the problem of why we mistakenly assume that following our passionate work is the key to success is because you know, we look at successful people. Take whoever you use as your role model of success that you get inspiration from, right? And we see whenever they talk about the work they do or what they're trying to accomplish, there's clearly a lot of passion behind them. They seem very excited, very engaged in it. And we say, well, clearly they're draw they're pursuing this because this is what they're passionate about. But what we don't realize is that the passion that we're seeing is just the product of them doing something that's tied to their internal sense of purpose. So we're seeing the end product of a lot of hard work and intentional focus on doing something that truly matters to them. And it's externally being manifested in showing this sense of passion and drive. Oh, that is that is so powerful. And I think um, your point around passion and so often I think of it as like what you love to do, but so many times in your job, you end up doing things that you found you loved, but you didn't. You wouldn't have known that in advance. Um, you wouldn't pick that career or pick that thing out of a lineup, but it, you, you find out that you can really find some um, love for your work and purpose there. So as we talk about purpose, I, I wanted to ask you about it in, in a couple of different ways, knowing we have, um, we're talking here to leaders. The first is for leaders who are looking to find their own purpose. As you've worked with and talked to and coached leaders, how do you see leaders finding purpose for themselves in their jobs um, and what obstacles often get in their way? Yeah, I get this question a lot because in some of my keynotes, I do talk about the importance of doing purpose-led work. And so there's always that leader that's out there, someone who's been doing it for a couple of years, and they ask the question of like, well, you know, I don't know if I can find that kind of uh, meaningful work in my in, in the things that I'm doing right now. And it's a lot of times it's because we tend to think of this kind of idea of doing purpose-led work, of meaningful work. It has to be, you know, glamorous or exciting. Um, mm -hmm. This has to be something that if you tell somebody about it, they're going, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I, I'm so impressed by what you're doing. And 
the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't have to be glamorous, exciting. It's really something that's tied to something that's internally, internally drives us. That internal motivation where we show up and want to dedicate our best. And a lot of times what I tell leaders is think of a time. It could even be before you were a leader on certain projects or tasks where you got assigned and for whatever reason, you just felt compelled to deliver your best. You just were like so driven. Like if you saw something was a problem, you would step in to fix it or you would step in to say, how can I help? Even though it wasn't necessarily your responsibility and you weren't looking to do it for credit. You just wanted to make sure this succeeded. These are moments where we can get that clarity of saying, here's something that just really matters to us. And so a lot of times when I have these leaders ask me this question, I often will tell them, let's do like a, let's do a, this is your life type of exercise where I want you to look back at those moments in your career, both before you became a leader and now as a leader, where you really felt driven, where there was some project or some initiative that you were a part of, and you really did your best work. Like you still look back on it fondly and say, you know what? That's when I felt alive. Okay. That's where you can identify your purpose. Now you have a clear sense of this is the kind of work I should be doing because this is what matters to me. Once you've identified it, now we can roll up our sleeves because now you can take that and say, now I know what the kind of work I need to do, which is going to help me bring out the best of me, which as a leader is going to help you bring out the best in those you lead. And the way you do that is then by creating a long-term goal or vision that's bigger than you. This is something that you know when you communicate it to your team, they're going to get excited because they can see their role in it. They could see their part in being a part of this and knowing that we're not talking about, okay, a 12% increase in market share, okay, something banal that's just arbitrary. Like, why 12%? Well, we got 6% last year, so let's go for 12 and double, right? So it's kind of random. It's, it could be any number. Something that's more that people can see the value of and they can want to tie their own best efforts to. Then once you have that vision, when you start having to create those goals of how we're going to achieve this, you got to ask yourself, why does this matter? Are we doing this because it's in response to things that are happening around us or to you? Or is it helping you fulfill that promise you made to your employees with that long-term goal and vision for how you want to make things better? And then the third thing is you got to learn to tap into your real strengths and especially the real strengths of your employees. Meaning when we delegate stuff, you shouldn't be delegating stuff saying, okay, I got all this on my plate. Oh, you know what? Sally, she's really good at this. I'm going to give her, I'm going to delegate this out to her. Look, I'm a great leader. I'm delegating out work and you do well at this. So you're going to look good in the rest of the team's eyes, but this might not be necessarily what matters to her. So that very exercise you did at the start where you're trying to figure out what's that narrative of the things that you did well, this is your time where you have to help your employees do that same exercise. And once they've figured it out and you've helped them figure it out, now start delegating work that taps into those real strengths. And now suddenly everyone in your team is going to be succeeding because they genuinely care about the work they're doing. Uh, I think that's that's just incredibly powerful of, of finding that um, purpose in your job, engaging others to to share in that purpose. And I, I'm curious if you think, you know, can anyone find a true sense of purpose in your job or do you think it's kind of you know, some jobs will be purposeful jobs, whereas others will probably always be a means to a paycheck. How do you do you feel like all jobs have the opportunity for that purpose? 
Oh, well, here's where my background in science comes to play. I love to go beyond what I think and say, let's not Mm -hmm. look at what I think or anecdotally. Let's go to the science. And there's a lot of researchers who've actually done work looking into the nature of work and motivation and how people, why are certain people in certain jobs excelling and others aren't? And so a lot of the research has shown that all of us approach our work in one of three ways. We either view our work as being a job, a career or a calling. Now, it's easy for us to see if you're a firefighter, if you're a doctor, or today with the pandemic going on, you're a healthcare worker, you're a long-term care uh, facilitator, someone who works in the long-term facilities, uh, you're taking care of an essential worker. We can see these people very much thinking that their work is being their calling. But for the rest of us, to your point question, uh, Beth, can the rest of us see our jobs as being a calling like and we see purpose in the work we do well these researchers actually did and i always like to pull this out i mean currently right now in the context of the pandemic it's not the best example because we obviously appreciate these people as being essential workers but they looked at hospital cleaners and outside of a thing like a pandemic we could see that being a hospital cleaner is not necessarily like a work that we're going to think of as being exciting or glamorous and they interviewed Uh, hospital cleaners at various hospitals. And not surprisingly, a third of them said, you know what, it's just a job. I'm just here to collect a paycheck. I just want to, I just want to get this job done so I can go home and and live my life. Another third said, no, I see this as a career. I can see myself dedicating my life of my career to this job and then, you know, building a nice nest egg so I can retire and then live the second chapter of my life. The interesting thing is they actually had a third of the people they interviewed actually say, no, this is my calling. This is where I can make a difference. I believe in the vision of this hospital. We're here to take care of people when they are at their most vulnerable. And I see my role in making sure we're creating an environment that allows people to heal. Right. So what we could see here is that your sense of purpose is not derived simply by what you do. It's by but by how you choose to view what you do. And as leaders, that's really one of the important things that we have to do. Are you communicating to your employees that what they do, the importance of it, the impact it's having on not just the team, on their colleagues, but on the organization as a whole and tying it to their own sense of purpose of what it is that matters to them. It's going to make them feel like, I made a difference because, look, we're all going to have bad days. We're all going to have days where we feel like we're just shuffling papers. Okay, so this is, again, where passion can kind of fail us because on those days, it's hard to feel passionate because we just feel like we're doing mundane, menial tasks. But if we realize that we're looking at it from the end game, the long term perspective, this is just one brick in that wall we're building for this foundation for what we're trying to create. Then it's easier for us to accept that mundane day, that bad day we had at work, because the next day we know we have to show up and make up for it because what we're trying to do here truly matters. I think that's it's so powerful. And as as you were talking about that, I was thinking, too, of just. The reverse, if you thought, what if no one did what you do or your job? So in the case of hospital cleaning workers, if no one did that, where would we be? How awful would that be? Absolutely. Um, yeah. If, so if no one were doing it, it would be a real, it would really put us in a tough spot. Um, in your TED Talk, you, you shared a story about a leader who connected your job to purpose and kind of helped you see that. Um, and I was wondering if you could share how that experience affected you and and how leaders can do a better job helping their teams find purpose. 
Yeah, it, it was an interesting job because it was a summer job uh, working in the warehouse for a pharmaceutical dispensary. So this was, I mean, it was in the basement of the building. I mean, imagine I was a teenager <laughs> spending my summers in a in a windowless basement. But even now, all these years later, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. And I never saw the light of day. I'd come, I'd arrive there in the morning. I'd go downstairs into the basement. And I, 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 I couldn't tell if it was raining or sunny outside. Um, so talk about a job that's not glamorous. It certainly wasn't very exciting. I mean, we were doing inventory, stocking shelves, and so forth. <laughs> Lots of paperwork. Um, this is also when we had the dial-up internet with that screeching sound. I had to endure a lot of that screeching sound as we would be sending out PO orders to the different vendors. Mm -hmm. And yet, it turned out to be one of the most impactful jobs I ever had. Why? Because the leader I worked for, he made me appreciate the, the contribution I was making of how I was making a difference. If I wasn't there to make sure we had uh, medications in inventory, when these patients came to fill in their prescriptions, they wouldn't get the medication they'd need. They wouldn't be able to get the care that they required. And so it suddenly changes you from thinking, okay, I'm just trying to make sure we have X number of product on a shelf to realizing this is impacting people's well-being. And so again, it's really pivoting how we view what we do. And it's amazing how even the most mundane jobs where we can think because, again, it's not glamorous, not exciting. Well, this doesn't matter. Who really cares? And I remember one example I'd read a number of years ago about a catheter manufacturing company where they had very low levels of employee engagement. And they had a leader come in and he put it upon the organization's marketing team, says, I want you to collect our stories. And they said, what stories? They said, the stories of our patients, patients who've benefited from using our product. How has it improved their lives? How has it made a difference? Has it reduced their pain? Has it made their lives more manageable? Share their stories, get their pictures. And they did. And they thought, okay, we're going to use this marketing copy to sell to out to uh, doctors to use our product. No, instead, he took all that stuff and he plastered them all along the lobby walls of the uh, the building. So when his employees would walk in, they would see these stories and they see his face of these patients. And then he would tell them, every time you walk through, these are the people you're helping through the work you're doing. These are people whose lives are better because of you. And they would actually change the pictures over time just to get people to not look at them for the first few weeks and then they, after a while they tune them out kind of like those values boards mm -hmm. people put up in yeah. companies where we say these are our values no one reads it right i couldn't people couldn't even tell you what it says on there they would actually change them after a point just to keep people's keep it front of mind this is why we do what we do and so it's amazing when you have a leader who's able to do that the impact it creates on you is to make you realize that it doesn't matter what work I do, there is always an opportunity for me to contribute in a manner in a, that matters. And so that's the impact he had on me that to never think that it's the job that matters. It's really how you approach your job and what you're willing to contribute yourself that really makes the difference. So I'm, I'm curious, um, what kind of got, got your passion going or, or are you going for to, to study this topic? Well, you know, it's interesting. See, the my TED talk, actually, Beth, was inspired um, by a question like this, where I had just given a keynote. And during the Q&A, 
uh, someone asked me, I'm just curious to know what your background is. And I thought, what a fun opportunity. So I actually polled, I turned the question around. I love doing this, to be honest. I always like to turn questions around and says, well, I'd like to know how many of you uh, have an idea of what my background is. And so people were shouting, oh, you're probably, you know, worked. some people thought I worked in corporate. Some people thought I had, you know, probably did an MBA, maybe worked at a startup and so on and so, and so forth. And then I said, okay, that's interesting. Everyone kind of say that's probably what it was. And everyone's kind of nodding their heads and said, so would it, how many would be surprised to know that actually I'm educated as a pathologist? Well, you could imagine the look of shock and surprise in everyone's faces. I think the, the shock was, wait, you're, you were, you're a pathologist? And I think the other half was, wait, what's a pathologist? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? And so just I, in case anyone is questioning, I'm not saying I am, but if you want to say what a pathologist is. <laughs> well, pathologist is somebody who, who's involved in uh, the uh, studying of diseases and in the treatment. In my case, it was the diagnosis of people uh, for their various cancer therapies. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's originally where I started. Then from there, I actually went on uh, to work in the hospitals treating patients and couples for infertility, um, which I did mention in my TED Talk. The one perk I had was my wife would, you know, if we had somebody she'd meet in the grocery store, a colleague, and then I'd be talking to her husband. And she'd say, so uh, what do you do for a living? I used to have this little play I used to have with a deadpan straight face and say, I make babies for a living, right? <laughs> and the conversation just stops. And my wife would always look at me and say, what did you say to him? Because she'd see the look. The, yeah, I'll the bet she loved like, that, yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to just stand next to my wife now. I don't know what's going on over here. Um, but in the process of sharing that story, the, the, the question came up of, well, then how did that lead to what I'm doing right now? And I said to him, what's interesting when I, and I, and I did this on the spot. I did not even have a answer because no one had ever asked it to me. And I said, I guess I realize when I think about it, and as I'm sharing my story with you, that if I look at all these jobs I've done, they were all tied by a common thread of wanting to help people be better. I started working in pathology because I wanted to help people who were suffering from cancer find a way to get treatment to beat this disease once and for all. Then I moved on to helping couples be better by being able to have that live up to that dream of starting their family. And now it's migrated on into leadership where I want to help people be that kind of leader that's going to inspire and bring out the best in those they lead. So I think, again, this actually ties into this whole conversation we're having about your purpose what is that internal drive you have where when you when it's touched on when it's ignited when you have that sparked you just want to deliver your best it's something you genuinely care about it's not about the accolades it's not about the glory it's not about the paycheck it's about knowing you're doing the work that matters to you because you're putting your best self out there to help others in some form or some capacity i think that's really what it's all about for so many of these leaders you know at, at our at our company we we work with leaders as well and um it's it's amazing the ripple effect of it you know if, if one leader can be better all the people that they their life touches um it just it grows and grows and it, it is really rewarding work you're right so for my last question and you had shared a little bit about one leader who had had an impact on you but i do ask all of my guests on the show what was a moment of leadership that had a big impact on you and your life, whether it was for good or, or for bad to say, oh, gosh, I'd never do any I, I never want to be anything like that. 
Um, you know what? I'm going to actually change the conversation. I'm going to share one of my failures as a leadership because that was a moment oh, yeah. of clarity for me. Because mm -hmm. I think that's also very important that we share those. Mm -hmm. um, in one of my roles as a leader, I was assigned to, I had met different teams that I was uh, overseeing. And one of them was the cleaning crew for this, uh, that cleaned some of the laboratory facilities we had. And I remember I wanted to make sure, again, as you as we've been discussing, I wanted them to make sure that they appreciate, understood the value of what they're doing, because I knew that they wouldn't necessarily understand some of the science, some of the experiments we're doing. So I wanted to make sure that they appreciate, you know, this is why it's important that you're doing this. And, you know, this is why we need more of this. And, hey, this team's going to require this glassware to be cleaned by then for this, that and the other. And. I remember there was a, a, a senior level director. He had, before I had arrived there, he was, this was part of his, his responsibility was to oversee the cleaning crew. Um, and he called, he was kind of like a mentor to me when I was started there, helping me learn the ropes about the organization and so forth. And we used to have a lot of conversations in his office. And one time he decided to call me into his office and I go in there expecting another type of chit chat about leadership and stuff. And he says to me, you know what, I, I have to break some news to you. I've actually gotten some complaints from the cleaning crew about you. And I was like, like shocked. I was like, wait, what, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? And I first of all, I was shocked that they actually went to their former boss instead of coming to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was like, OK, I wanted to hear it because, you know, I was thinking like uh, maybe I'm being too technical in my mm -hmm. explanations of the stuff and so forth. And they he said that they were feeling like disrespected by me. They felt like I was not listening to them. And I was so horrified because this was the absolute, absolute opposite of what I was trying to create. I hear I was trying to make them feel valued. And in then in the effort, what I was actually doing was making them feeling not seen, not heard, not appreciated. And what I came to realize from that conversation and when I actually went and and I was going to go talk to them and he said, no, no, don't talk to them now. Wait a few days. I think he did it in part because he was not sure, even though I was showing horror and not taking it like on the defensive, but just being almost ashamed, like because this is not what I wanted to to do. Um, but I think it was it was more for him. It's like he said, think about what I've what I've said to you. And I thought about it a couple of days and I and and. I'm glad I did because I realized the problem I was doing. And if I had gone right then and there, I would have repeated the problem. I was so busy focusing on telling them that I wasn't giving them space for me to listen to them. I wasn't giving them the space to contribute so that they could have their own sense of ownership. I was, I, I in essence had become a micromanager, right? The very thing that we hear so much of people saying, and we always think of micromanagers being people like, well, you have to do it a certain way for me to be happy about it. It's not always that. Sometimes it's just a matter of that. We're so focused on trying to make our employees do well to succeed, or in my case, feel like their work matters, that we don't create that space where we're allowing them to feel heard and understood. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was so preoccupied with my communicating to them to let them know they feel valued that I was not giving them the space to talk to me and say to me, what are your concerns? What are the issues that you might be having? Maybe some of the teams are, are, are you know, giving you more demands for stuff and you can't meet all the demands of different teams to get everything done in time and so forth. I'm not giving you that space. I'm just <laughs> piling on top of it. And 
having those few days where I would sit there and think about what it was, what was I doing that was creating that made me realize I always went into the conversations. I'd say stuff. Are we good? Great. I'd be all pumped and I'd be all excited. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I went and gave him the raw, raw speech. Like you see in mm-hmm. sports films, right? Well, I'm going to come in as the coach and rally the team and I, let's go out there and win. And then I just walk, leave the room. Right. Um, it was such an important moment because it really made me appreciate how your leadership is really not about you. It's really about listening to those you to that you lead and helping them provide them with the resources and provide them with the space so that they can have agency and ownership over what they do because you're listening to what they need from you rather than you making the assumption that you know, well, this is what they're going to need to succeed. I, that's an incredible story. And I think it's one of the moments that, that many leaders have that is pivotal. Um, if you're lucky enough, and, and it won't feel lucky in the moment, but you're lucky enough that someone tells you how you're being perceived how versus what you actually think is going on. It's um, certainly, I think, jarring, and I think a lot of leaders can relate to that, but what a tremendous gift that can be and how you change um, for the future. Absolutely, and it hurts. I'll be honest with people. I went to my desk, and my shoulders were just slumped. I remember a few of my colleagues came up to me. They saw, like, I felt dejected because I felt felt like I had failed. I had failed epically. Mm Um, I had done the absolute opposite of what I was trying to achieve. And I thought, maybe I'm not cut out for this, right? I was I was filled with doubt and so forth. And I could see why it made sense from a seasoned leaders ex- experience to say to me, look, you need time to you need time to own this. You have to own your mistake. Don't try to gloss over it. Own it. And you know, own like as I told my daughter once time, I wrote about it on my leadership blog. Sometimes we have to own the suck. We have to give our tough time to own it and just marinate in it. And so we can Mm -hmm. get that clarity of what we did wrong so we can go forward and do better the next time. And and I'm happy to say that the that taking those few days and the conversation I had there afterwards, I mean, I think they ended up feeling they talked to me more than they talked to their old boss after that because Mm -hmm. I had changed such a degree where I was just so genuinely curious. It became less about me wanting to help them as I was more curious to understand their reality. And that was such an important lesson for me to learn and to understand about leadership. Yeah. And such a good, a great testament to the the power of feedback. Um, you know, I know it's, it's, it's often easier to kind of say, oh, this is, this is a bad leader. Most leaders have no idea when they're doing something bad, unless someone has the courage to tell them, um, most most people don't know they have good intentions, but they have no idea when they're messing up. Absolutely. So I I thought our the conversation today was just outstanding. I so appreciate you joining us today, Tanver. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Beth. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was great. Uh, I love these questions that you shared because I think it's not something we hear or we talk a lot about in leadership, mm-hmm. but it's really really important for us to consider. I could not agree more. And thank you to all of our listeners who spent part of their 480 with us today. I'm Beth Alms, reminding you to make every moment of leadership count.